Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to episode number 33 of the Roman's Empire podcast. This is the place where uh, all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. So, Zach, um, your uh, your voice is a little bit hoarse. Are you uh, you getting sick by any chance? I am. S- no, I'm not actually. My voice is completely gone from the match, and I know it was 48 hours ago, but, <laughs> but I had that, the, I, that William I had the, goal. The William goal was amazing, but. I had to run right over to my soccer practice and coach my kids after. So you were yelling uh, at them too after for not listening to you and not being as organized and compact as Conte makes his squad, huh? Exactly. You (laughs) hit the nail right on the head. (laughs) I could tell, man. Uh, But that's that's not a bad thing. And this happens on occasion too, where like I lose my voice for a couple hours after the match. But I remember like there's a mirror right next to where I usually watch my – my soccer right so whenever we score for some reason i i can't stay in the same room so like i i always have to get up off the corner of my couch and i always celebrate into the entryway of my home and there's a mirror right there and every time i walk by or or every time we score i always scream and i like sometimes run sometimes skip sometimes jump by the mirror whatever it is i don't know what the fuck i did by the mirror but as I'm walking back to my seat, I look at myself in the mirror, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I don't think you've celebrated this hard for a goal in a very, very, very long time. So it was it was huge, and and, uh, and and I'm actually happy that I lost my voice because that means that we did some things right. Yeah, I was watching I, I was watching the game on campus, actually, and I was watching it with some guy. Um, I walked up to him, and he was, he was wearing a Chelsea uh, Murata jersey. And uh, I was like, oh, nice. So you mind if like a fellow blue fan sits with you? And he's like, no, I'm actually like a really big Real Madrid fan. I just support uh, all the players that came, um, you know, and used to play for us. And I was like, oh, OK. So you're also wearing a jersey of a future player as well, probably, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, man. Yeah. I mean. It's unfortunate. But yeah. It was just a little bit of a bit of banter, but uh, yeah. I mean, I to- after after this Barcelona, all this talk about the Barcelona match, I seem to have forgotten that we even played a FA Cup match against Hull. Yes, um, which was uh, a very very good uh, display by a lot of our, a lot of our new guys and um, a lot of our young guys. So let's get into it real quick because you know, as every everyone's probably listening in to hear our takes on the the Barca game. So uh, you want to get into it, Zach? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's. Uh, there are just a couple of talking points that I want to go through in terms of like the whole match. So, um, we had a couple different squad changes today, but one person I want to talk about is Ethan Ampadu coming in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting because when the lineup initially came out, there was a back three of Ampadu, Cahill, and Rudiger, right? Uh-huh. And common sense kind of tells you, oh, Gary Cahill's going to slot into the middle, but actually, as the game went on. I noticed that Ethan Ampadu was playing up the middle, and he is very, very similar to Andreas Christensen in a lot of ways. Um, the main one being how he's both youthful but very, very composed, and that was that's something that stands out to me, and and it's an early telltale sign of someone who has world class potential. Um, but but he, another thing I liked is that he also linked up the play from the middle as well. So. Having Gary Cahill in the middle of our back three doesn't really make too much sense in terms of uh, possession and playing out of the back because we know when the ball's at Gary Cahill's feet, he looks like a like a newborn gazelle, doesn't he? Yeah. But you got Ethan Ampadu coming in there who looked a little bit more composed. He had some he had some shaky moments, but um, I mean the kid's seventeen yeah, years old. Yeah, that'll happen so. with how young he is. I mean, but even even at his young age, um, you know, even Conte spoke about it earlier this week about you know how good he he is and you know like honestly watching the game um you know you see you see him like throw his head in front of the ball in front of like i don't know off a corner it's it's <laughs> that was I, insane I hate, I hate to say it but it's i mean you know it might seem like an overreaction but in a way that's like john terry-esque you know i mean like just the way he plays and you know i mean how how good do you really think this kid can be um you know like i said it earlier I, i'm not gonna go out there and say he is gonna be world class but he has that potential um, if he sticks to his craft and stays focused. And, you know, he seems he seems like a kid who's who's very inspired. 
And he seems like someone that's very driven in terms of his personality traits. And, you know, that's that's an incredible trait to have because, you know, when you're 17 years old and you're playing for the first team at Chelsea and you're barking at some of the senior players to get back into shape or to, to mark up on, you know, to mark up on an opponent or whatever it may be, um, that's a that that's a telltale sign of, of some leadership and possibly a future leader for the club. Yeah, just, uh, you know, Getting on, I mean, moving on from Ampadu because we we've talked about him a number of times on this show. Um, Giroud, who made his second start after uh, you know after we got him, finally uh, you know after his first match of getting a couple assists and coming close to scoring, he finally gets his first goal uh, as a blue, um, and assisted by Emerson, another uh, new transfer that we got. Um, you know, with a nice piece of skill to free him up for the cross, and Giroud pretty basically just tapped it in. Um, I think he's 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 quickly. I think it's easy to say that he's quickly becoming a fan favorite. Um, you know, after all these years of kind of hating on him at Arsenal, um, it's really funny how quickly the the narrative of uh the way he our fan base feels about him just switched up. You know, and he even said, you know, he 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 you know he already knows that. He likes, you know, the the, the color blue because, you know, he, he wears it in, in international play. So he's already used to it. Um, but, you know, he's he, the way he talks, it's like, you know, I mean, it's 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 a typical PR move and, you know, saying that he's he's so happy and, you know, he's 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 always wanted to play for Chelsea. And, you know, he's thinking this is the best move he's made in his career. But I mean. It, I think as a Chelsea fan, this is the kind of stuff you want to hear, as opposed to, uh, you know, some comments that other players have made um, in the last couple of weeks. But you know, we just saw everything from the, from him this match. You know, goal scoring, his movement, his link up play. Um, he obviously doesn't have that pace that um, we needed, like against Barcelona. So that's why we probably didn't see him play, even though you know he's been in, in great form uh, every game that he's played in for us. Still not. I don't think he's completely fit either. But um, I mean, Zach, what do you, what do you think from this uh, this transfer? So far, so good. I think. Uh, I mean, obviously, let's not you know kid ourselves. We we did play a pretty crappy whole side, but um, Giroud does all the things that don't show up on a stat sheet, as well as the things that do show up on a stat sheet. Um, and, and one thing that, and I mentioned it last week that I noticed with Giroud is, is his defensive work rate. Um, positionally, he's very, very aware of where he needs to be to cut off passing lanes, where he needs to be to force, um, to force the other team to clear their lines, um, and where he needs to be to be a nuisance and to possibly win the ball or force a mistake from the opponent. Um, the first goal, William's first goal, that came off a Giroud defensive play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he nicked the ball off of, uh, I forget who it was. It, it might have been, uh, I, I don't even remember who it was. But um, I remember he nicked the ball off one of their midfield players and just played William in on through, and, and, and William had a pop. And I'm pretty sure that William's second goal also came off a Giroud defensive contribution as well. I don't know if it was a direct assist from him, but um, I know he stuck a leg in and, and got a little deflection on the ball. So... I mean, we we know this guy. He's he's a seasoned veteran in the Premier League. He's he's been around the block. Um, he's an he's national team quality. Um, and and, and like I said, he he's gonna do a job for us. I'm really really happy with the purchase. Yeah, and you know, I think another purchase that you you're you've been talking about, and this is your guy Emerson. Um, he made his debut this this match as well. Like I already mentioned, he assisted that Giroud goal. Um, what do you think of his debut? I think he's going to be a very, very different option as opposed to Marcus Alonso. Um, we have seen the best of Marcus Alonso when he's off the ball, um, mainly because he emulates a striker's movement when he's in the box. Um, he's a really clean striker of the ball too. But then you look at a guy like Emerson, who's actually more of a natural winger, as opposed to Marcus Alonso, who's more of a natural midfielder in my opinion. Um, Emerson could play higher up the pitch. He looks pretty pacey. His first five or six yards is a—he's uh, he's pretty quick, so I think he could keep up with most attacking players that he goes up against. Um, really good with the ball at his feet, running out defenders. But he's cut—he's—I think he's cut from the same cloth as Kennedy in a sense. He just seems a little bit more polished and more defensively sound. Um, he's very, very good with his feet. He loves to take on defenders. 
He's confident more than anything. Um, and, and, and that little that little juke that he did where he kind of threw a defender or two off balance to create that space to pass it into Giroud, I mean, that was beautiful. And that's just a little tiny glimpse of what we could look forward to in the future. My min, my big question mark with him is I know he is coming off a major knee injury, but my main thing with him is can he sustain um, can he sustain his health? Can he be, maintain uh, fitness for you know the course of a season minus you know a couple games here and there? So um, obviously coming back from a knee injury isn't easy. So the jury's still out on him in that sense. Obviously that's something that's completely out of his control, but. I mean, we keep our fingers crossed and hope that he stays healthy for the time being. Yeah, and you mentioned the difference between Emerson and uh, Marcos Alonso a little bit. And I think the most um, defining difference between them is, <laughs> I think it's about a six-inch height difference. Emerson's like 5'9", and Marcos Alonso is 6'2". So they definitely bring completely different things from that wingback position. But um, I think that, you know, different options for Conte is, is a good thing. Um, it just gives him more room to build a nice squad for depending on who we're going to play. Um, so another player that, I mean, we've talked about him, another just young, bright guy who looks like a, he has a great future at Chelsea, Hudson Adoy. Um, got a start as well. I mean, uh, but he, he got an appearance. He, off yeah, the bench. He, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. He came off uh, the bench, but um, I thought that his, his movement, it was was so impressive. I've seen it. I've seen it um, before, and you know, you, the, his skill is undeniable. But um, I think that the way that he pops in and out of spaces, you know, as a winger, um, his ability to link up play and you know run into spaces is is way beyond his years. And he's uh, 17 years old, if I if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I just think that every time he is put on the field. He impresses me uh, more and more than the last time, um, and I've yet to really see him make any mistakes that I kind of expect him to. Um, what What do you think? What do you think about his performance? I think uh, I think there's a lot of positives. I mean, obviously, I was rooting for him to get his first goal, but um, you know that that didn't really happen because Hull kind of seemed to put us on the back on the, on our on our heels for the last uh, 15 or 20 minutes, um, but. There was one instance that that stood out to me, um, that just oozed class from Hudson Odoi. It's it's when him, William, and Zapacosta broke th- broke free in the second half, and it was like a three pronged counter attack, and Hudson Odoi actually had the ball on the on the far left side, and he was running at pace, and had Zapacosta wide open on the far on the complete opposite end of the pitch, um, and Hudson Odoi played this beautiful ball with his left, and just bent it around. Uh, their center back, I think it was David Myler, and right into the path of Zapacosa, who laid it off to Willian, and Willian got a shot blocked. But um, when Hudson Adoy tried that pass, in the moment, it seemed incredibly audacious. Incredibly audacious. We were already 4 0 up, so, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, like, hey, why not? Try and make that pass. Let's, let's see what you're made of. Let's see where your wall is in terms of talent. And the fact that he connected that pass shows that I don't think he has a wall in terms of talent. I think uh, I think the sky's the limit, and he just has to, similarly to Ampadu, he kind of just has to stay focused and stay driven. And right now he's right on the edge of being a, a first-team regular. Um, and, you know, even Conte even had him on the bench for the, uh, for the Barca game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of a good segue into the Barca game, but um, that's just something to look forward to with Hudson Adoy. I think he's going to be here at the club for a very long time. Let's hope so. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Just quick final thoughts before we move on to this Barca match. Um, no, I think I think uh, after this game happened. I mean, obviously this is before the Barca match happened, but um, I remember thinking to myself like, hey, this is very very good momentum going into Barcelona. Just just an easy match where we hardly broke a sweat, got away with a 4-0, you know, no injuries, mm-hmm. uh, got some French players some playing time. I just think the general mood of the squad was up, which is why um, we wound up picking up some sort of result against Barcelona. And um, I also have one final note I wanted to add. I, I was When I was watching the match, um, they, were, they replayed William's second goal um, around like the 80th minute or something on the broadcast, and they had one angle um, from behind him in like a really low angle that you could see 
how much that ball bent and uh i i, I made it i really want to see that that sh that shot again i haven't been able to find it and i posted about it on the the reddit page and you know someone was saying that he was that you know they were they were watching the game live and you know from where they were sitting it looked like it was gonna miss but just it curved in and barely snuck in but you know william just been playing an absolute insane form and i think that is the best transition into this barcelona match because that 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 form definitely carried over and he had a blinder i mean he just played amazing this barcelona match by you know by far the man of the match um let's just let me get into the i want to get into the lineup first because <laughs> the second it came out um i sent it to you and um it was just like our response was like what what is he thinking um what antonio conte has not learned anything from this season so courtois um christensen dave rudiger uh on the back uh victor moses alonso uh conte and sask in the middle and hazard william and pedro up front for a 343 um with hazard again as the false nine and um two midfield uh of antonio i mean sorry <laughs> with angola conte and Cesc fabregas and um Antonio Conte kind of made you eat your words, huh? Yeah, he did. Um, the second the lineups came out, I actually texted some verbatim. My God, I think Conte might have lost the plot. Yeah, I mean, because like it's we've every time we've made this kind of lineup, it's, I think it's kind of bit us in the ass. Just both um, having you know front three with with Hazard playing the false nine, and um, Antonio, I mean, and the Cesc Fabregas in a two man midfield. It's it's not. Uh, it hasn't worked in the past, but I mean, against Barcelona, he made it work. <laughs> how 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 did Antonio Conte make this work, Zach? Well, I mean, for starters, we were just so incredibly organized defensively, and and every single fucking player worked their socks off. Right? They they basically played like their lives depended on it. I mean, I I know I know every single person was surprised to see a two man midfield with Seskin and Golo Conte. But Antonio made it work by organizing a defensive shape that it allowed Pedro to drop into the midfield in between Sesc and Conte to form a midfield three. And at first when I saw this, I I'm not going to lie, I thought it'd be a disaster just because, you know, yes, you are throwing an extra man in that midfield, but you're also throwing a player that's 5'7 at best. And, and, and you're going to throw him alongside a player who's completely immobile in Sesc Fabregas. So... In my opinion, and it takes away from the counterattack as well. It does, it does. So it, it it did take away from the counterattack because when we would nick the ball in the midfield, Pedro would be would would have too far of a starting position. He'd be sitting back too deep, and he would be making those late runs into the counterattack um, while William and Hazard were were doing their thing. So Barca never really broke through our lines, and Conte did make us eat our words because the way he deployed Pedro in this match. I think is the uns is the untold story of of why we had some sort of success against Barcelona today uh, on uh, two days ago. Um, his work rate in the midfield was 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 an incredible, and every single time uh, Messi would pick up the ball in that midfield, right in between the lines, you had two players just like you know just all over him. In um, Golo Conte specifically. Um, you know, in the second half, I know that he kind of switched it up and, and Conte switched it up and had N'Golo Conte man-marking him. But, man, Pedro as a supporting player um, in the press and just nicking the ball away from players and linking up play. And I mean, I think not enough people talk about him. And, yes, we did go with the front three without a natural striker. But I think that move wasn't to put Hazard as a false nine. I don't think that was the reason why Conte made that move. I think the reason Conte made that move is because Pedro has this relentless work rate. And he said, how could I integrate him into the squad so I could get this work rate in the middle of the pitch so he could have that one and then hit him on the counter? And, you know, if you're looking at it from Conte's point of view, you got the work rate of Pedro that you don't want to leave on the bench. You got the magic from Hazard, which, I mean, we don't have to explain. And then you got the form of Willian. So out of those three guys, like, who do you really drop? Do you drop one of them for uh, a Giroud who has made a couple appearances for us, but 
both of the matches that he made appearances in were not, no contests? Or do you take out Willian, who's been in incredible form, um, and throw in like an Alvaro Morata, um, who hasn't been in form and hasn't even been getting game time to begin with? So um, Conte made it work. 3-4-3 looked really good against Barca. At yeah. the Camp Nou, I don't necessarily know about sticking with the same game plan because you do expect Valverde to uh, to make some tweaks. And, and at the same time, you expect Barcelona to play a lot better. And I think, without a doubt, this was not an easy decision for Antonio Conte. I mean, I'm sure he lost sleep over um, deciding what who he was going to deploy for this match. But I think he made the right decisions. And um, I think it would it would have been a disaster if he decided not to start Willian. Because um, he is a man on fire. He is a beautiful fucking human being. Uh, <laughs> according to whoscored.com, uh, he got a 9.38 rating. Uh, four total shots, including uh, two that hit the post and one on target. So he was he was combined four inches away from a hat trick, pretty much. Um, he had six completed dribbles, which was the game high. Um, two aerials, one, two tackles, four four key passes. Um, I think without I think it kind of goes without saying that he was the man of the match. But um, I mean, with this kind of performance, I mean, it, it just considering the fact that. You know, Barcelona dominated possession with seven, almost 75% possession. And um, really, we did look like the better side, you know, besides those stats. Um, and I think a big part had to do with the way Willian played the whole match. So um, would you agree with my take that he was uh, the man of the match? Oh, my God. He was he was unbelievable. I think that was the best performance we have seen from Willian in a Chelsea shirt to date. Um he seemed to replicate that 2014-15 season form where he seemed to be like the only player that gave a fuck. Um, and this, but this one was just on another level. He looked absolutely world class in every sense, and every time he got the ball, the game just completely slowed down um, because he'd either create a shot or made a brilliant flick or created that little half yard to play a pass into space. And it's just, it's just shocking to me because going into this match, we. It, Nobody mentioned the Williams or the Pedros or the Contes of the world. Everyone was talking about Eden Hazard and Lionel Messi um, and how those two guys needed to step up to make sure that their respective teams got results. But William came into this match and, and basically made it his own. And for that, he's truly world class. If you're looking at the other players that were on the pitch in one of the biggest stages in world football, a Champions League knockout stage match. Um at home as well. So with that being said, um, his relationship with Hazard is something – it's incredibly unique to the footballing world, right? Um, right? It's not a duo that – it's not a duo that scores goals in bunches. It's not a duo that always scores the prettiest goals. But it is a duo that is so effective and always finds a way to get the job done. And it's very rare, especially in football, to find two players that have that kind of chemistry and enjoy playing with each other that much. And I think it was on display against Barcelona, those little those little flicks and passes into space and um, dribbling through players. And I think Hazard looks almost reborn when Williams in the squad. Because if he looks on either side of him, especially at playing as a false nine, he sees a work rate of Pedro and Willian, both very hardworking players, and he kind of gets his ass ready to work. And, and and I think it just makes the whole entire team better when Willian is when Willian is in top form like this. Because as much as right there. as much as we don't as much as we don't say it or mention it, we talk about the lack of like a very vocal leader like a John Terry, uh, Michael Ballack, or Frank Lampard esque leader. We have these we have these leaders that don't necessarily show their leadership with their voice or their or their um, finger pointing and positioning, but players that show their leadership with their performances. And Willian looked so composed all match. He looked completely unfazed. It looked like he walked straight from the whole match onto the pitch against Barcelona and just carried on from where he was and. And I think you said it best, and, and this encapsula encapsulates his performance um, and puts it in, in, into perspective. He was four inches away from a hat trick. And I I think what you said was a really good shout that um, 
I think that it's absolutely correct that when um, Hazard's supporting players are putting in more work, he kind of feeds off of that and decides to play harder as well. And I think that it's also uh, the mentality of, oh, I don't have to do everything by myself because we've seen matches where literally Hazard is the only person doing anything all match and um, he's the, he's carrying our team and we're not able to get out a result because no one is helping him out. But when, you know, he looks to his left and his right and he sees these two guys um, playing their hearts out and um, just having a great performance, it it's definitely something that, that he feeds off of and uh, it affects his play and you know of course we've talked about it I mean everyone knows it Hazard is world class um, you know top three player in the Premier League um, so when you get this kind of performance from other supporting players it only feeds off uh, you know onto him um, so I think I think that's that's well enough to be said about Williams performance I think it speaks for itself to be honest um, but Andreas Christensen um, was a big talking point of this match because um, he he did struggle in possession, but defensively he looked incredibly solid. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's fair to say that almost every pundit has Christensen on the chopping block, even you know after an amazing season so far, um, just with his careless giveaways, um, one of which led to that Barcelona goal. Uh, was that justified? Because, you know, I mean, Conte was the only one who publicly backed him up. His exact quote was, Christensen was great. Incredible. He's 21 years old. It's great that he's able to play this game with his maturity, his personality. He was one of the best players tonight. Um, I mean, it's it's fair to say that, you know, the, his youth and I think that he is mature. Um, I wouldn't say that he was one of the best players. I mean, off, I think if you if you take everything in a vacuum and kind of uh take everything together it was it was overall a good match but i think that um when you're when you <laughs> when you're playing soccer your whole life and this you know you're, you're you're young but still like you know when i played soccer like one of the first things i learned and i when i played defense and it's like you learn it when you're a kid is you never ever kick the ball across your goal um it's it's that's just like a no-no and um i'm just shocked out of all the players who said it um <laughs> i mean out of all the players who did this i was not expecting it from christensen at all i think i'm pretty sure um i have to d double check but i'm pretty sure before this match christensen had the highest passing uh, completion rate in all of champions league in the group stages leading up to this match so I mean, if, if 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 that that speaks volumes about the way that he's able to play the ball, but you know, I, I wanted to watch that play and think, oh man, it can't all be his fault. You know, Fabregas looked flat-footed. He didn't he didn't come to the ball. Um, you know, why was why was Victor Moses playing so far up? Why was you know why did why did Aspie slide? Why did why did um, Courtois try to telegraph that shot and dive when you know Messi likes to shoot on the left side? But I think all of those things like you you don't need to even have any of that to happen because the the past shouldn't even happen in the first place um, yeah 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 i think it's i think all the criticism is justified to a certain extent i mean yeah he made a mistake and yes it was costly but to those fans saying that he had a terrible match like like fuck you like i i because personally me i thought he was brilliant on the day besides you know one or two lap mental lapses um you know he, he's cutting off passing lanes he kept suarez under control i mean tell me tell me how many times you heard luis suarez's name in the first half no hardly yeah. any i think they hardly... only had one ch chance really in the first half at all was that paulinho header. paulinho header yeah, yeah. and uh... and you know, for a guy who's 21 going up against one of the best strikers of our generation in Luis Suarez, I mean, as much as I fucking hate the guy, he's an ugly fuck. But he he really like I mean, let's not let's not bullshit ourselves. He's one of the best strikers we've seen recently. So, I mean, for Christensen to control him in large parts of the match, um, I completely agree with Conte. You know, like yeah, he made a mistake, but Conte also reminded us that he's 21 years old. Growing pains are normal for a young footballer. Like, put this into perspective, okay? 
and put yourself into his shoes. You're 21 years old. It's your first full season as a mainstay in a top four team in a top five European league. And you're starting against the champ. You're starting in the Champions League against Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez as Barcelona, right? Mm-hmm. And he makes one mistake, gets punished for it, unfortunately, because Barcelona is a classy team, and that's what they do. And he gets shit on for it. Like, relax, Chelsea fans. There's absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of Andreas Christensen. The fact that he didn't make more mistakes is impressive for me. Because in a match like this, you expect a young player like that to make five, six, seven mistakes. Christensen made two. One of them got punished. For someone of his age to only make two mistakes against a team like Barcelona is impressive. And I think he needs to be applauded for that. He'll be world class if he's not considered world class already. So chill the fuck out. Like 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 we're in great hands. It's it's still one one. You gotta put the match into perspective. It's still one one. We gotta go back to, to Camp New. We know Barcelona is gonna give us chances to score because at the bridge they looked flustered. We had the better chances to score in the grand scheme of things. Messi really didn't have a go before he scored that goal. Suarez really didn't have a go before he scored that goal, before Messi scored his goal. I mean, you really look at it, Paulinho had their best chance of the night. And if we go into the camp new and force guys like Paulinho to beat us. Yeah, and Paulinho probably had, (laughs) Paulinho probably had his worst match, I think, of the whole season after, you know, just breaking back into, uh, I mean, obviously he had an awful tenure at at Tottenham so maybe there's something about um just being in London that <laughs> gets him to play the way he did this match but um he was awful which was uh obviously great for us but um i think that we can't really talk about defense um the way our defense played without mentioning um Angolo Conte because um he is definitely just like a defensive stalwart on our team and um arguably and in, in my opinion he's the best d- uh, defensive midfielder in in all of the premier league if not the world um so i think i mean when you watch this match you just see him like involved in almost any every play um you know lose when we lose the ball he just is quick to take it back um just shutting down messi and not allowing him any space um really i mean he, he like you you see his one goal messi scored and that really that was his only real chance and that was off a you know it was, a gift. A, it was yeah it was off a stupid mistake and you know i mean and i just wanted to just go back and on um, real quick just to, i just want to say one quick thing i forgot to mention about that pass like that's that's a pass that you can make and get away with you know playing in the premier league against side like swansea against crystal palace something like that but <laughs> When you're playing against Barcelona, and it, I mean, I think there's literally no other combo that it could have gone to, like that would have been worse off than to Iniesta laying up Messi. Like literally, that was just like the worst luck possible. Yeah, because you know Iniesta is gonna play the perfect ball, and you know Messi's gonna have the perfect yeah. finish. There's like literally just... no, like in the world, like pretty much, you you can't find a worse combination than that to give up a ball like that too. But back to N'Golo Conte, um, Zach. Was this? I think this. I think this was probably his one of his top performances for Chelsea. Uh, would you agree with that statement? Oh yeah, completely. Like, despite the stats, because if you go to whoscored.com or any of the other stats websites that that rate players on a scale to ten, and Golo Conte barely broke a six point nine or wow. a seven. Oh my god! And that's you know, this is one of those games where you just kind of g- got to throw the stat sheet out the window and say, hey, look, Barcelona had 75% possession of the ball. So, you know, statistically, it's impossible for any of our guys to get over a seven or a six and a half, right? But, you know, like I said, they're just completely irrelevant. And mm. um, N'Golo Conte's effect on the match, especially in the midfield, um, in regards to to keeping Lionel Messi um, under wraps is absolutely unbelievable. Messi didn't have any green grass to run into, which is, you know, actually why he's, um, why he's so effective offensively, right? Like when you think of Lionel Messi, like in his top form, you see him running at defenders, those late runs into the box. Um, and N'Golo Conte stuck with him the whole entire time. And now that I had the, now that I had two days of sleep on the performance, 
you know, I've had the opportunity to think about it in in hindsight and logically, and I've come to the conclusion that N'Golo Conte is the best defensive midfielder in world football. Um, when we talk about defensive midfielders that are world class and players that we that we you know kind of categorize, I mean, we think of guys like Raja Nangolin at Roma, um, Casemiro at Madrid, or Vidal at at a Bar- After seeing the way he constantly snuffed out any Barcelona pressure in the midfield, and just was a constant pest to Messi attached to his hip the whole entire match. There's really no argument for me in terms of him being the best. If you don't consider him the best defensive midfielder in the world, um, fair play because, you know, like, I mean, I'm looking at it in terms of just defensive skill, but if you're going to look at it in a different scope and, and, you know, talk about his distribution and, and, and attacking worth, then maybe we have a different argument. But for me, he's the best defensive midfielder in world football. And if, if you don't agree with that statement, at least you could admit or acknowledge the fact that he is the best ball winner in world football. Um, and, you know, if, if you don't think one of those two statements is true, then I just genuinely don't think you watch enough soccer to begin with. Yeah, I mean, Antonio, I mean, I keep on saying Antonio Conte. And Golo Conte, um, he is really a kind of like he's, he's just been an under the radar player, I think, his whole career. And uh, people will always have the that doubt on him because he's not a standout kind of player. Um, but you need to you need to be watching him closely to see the kind of stuff that he does to really appreciate how amazing of a player he is and how he's definitely, uh, in my opinion, the most important important player on this team. Um, just relieving so much pressure on our back line um, and. You know, to be completely honest, like we see him play every match. He starts every match, plays almost 90 minutes every match. And um, to an extent that that kind of scares me a little bit um, because, I mean, although he's so important to us and like we do need him to play almost every match, um, I just don't want him to get tired or, um, you know, uh, like sore or hurt. Um, I think that we need to look for another well, I mean we're, we we are obviously banged up on the midfield as it is um you know we had no David Luiz to play we had no um Ross Barkley um and uh you know no no Bakioka of course uh so I think once those guys come back it's uh it's going to be like we're Antonio Conte is going to need to rest in Golo Conte um Obviously not uh, in the next couple of weeks when we play Man United and Man City, uh, but after that, like he needs to, that needs to be on top of his uh, priority list, just like to find ways to get N'Golo Conte rest so that we can sustain him for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of Antonio Conte, um, you know, I think the list uh, before this match, the number one priority on his list was uh, don't get sacked, but um, I think. <laughs> To be completely honest, uh, that might he might be able to move that a little bit lower on his uh, priority list because I think that after this performance, it really spoke just a huge statement to the board of what kind of a manager he is and um, just tactically the the type of things that he can deploy um, with the lineup that he's provided and. Um, I just don't know what it's going to take to convince the board that he's just a football genius and um, he probably knows what's best for the club and um, they just need to listen to him more. Um, Zach, what do you, what do you think this, this type of performance has uh, means for his future? I mean, considering the type of board that we have and the decisions they've made in the past. I'm uh I'm not too sure because it 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 is just one single performance and you know we will have to see how we perform at the camp new before we can make any judgments as to whether Conte you know has his has some of his mojo back but I can tell you this clearly um more obvious than anything uh the, the squad is behind him the 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 players are playing for the manager and the effort at their energy most importantly, like the tactical patience that we had yesterday and the focus, um, the trust in the manager to stick with the system, to to absorb all of that pressure, to sacrifice all of the all of that possession, um, to pick up a result. 
what spoke volumes to the way the team views Antonio Conte. I mean, it's just simple. They trust him. There's not one player who played yet, who played on uh, on Tuesday, who showed any signs of a potential falling out with a manager. I mean, it's proof that all this media bullshit is exactly that. It's it's bullshit. And oh man, here we go. But to the board, yes, I know I get overly emotional and I get angry um, and I get frustrated when I talk about them because I have to say that you know I, I have to speak my mind, but um. I need to say this or else I'll have another sleepless night as a Chelsea fan. So take this performance – and this is to the board, right? Take this whole performance. Put it under a fucking microscope, okay? Because we're rich enough to afford one. With squad injuries and a lack of a midfield uh, – and lack of midfield options because you mentioned it. Bakioko was out. David Luiz was out. Um, uh, Ross Barkley was out. Antonio Conte executed a fucking masterpiece. This was like a – I mean, besides besides Christensen's giveaway, this is like a fucking Mona Lisa of tactical defensive setups. And the way that he implemented this system, the way he deployed players like Pedro, and the way he utilized players like Fabregas and N'Golo Conte, to even assume or to even think of him as not being, the, and I'm using my air quotes again, the right person for the job is fucking footballing blasphemy. And he's truly world-class in every sense of the word. I repeat this every pod, and I know it sounds repetitive. And to those of you that get frustrated when I say it, I'm sorry. But we do not deserve him. Like, it's that simple. The way we, the way the club has been treating him and the way he hasn't been backed in a transfer market and the way he hasn't been backed in the press is a, is a fucking shame. And, you know, I hope he stays, and I know it's a long shot as to whether he'll be here next season, um, whether he'll get sacked this season, the jury's still out. Um, but if you ask me at this point in time, no, I think he's going to stay the rest of the season. Um, just because, you know, like when we sacked Jose, for example, you know, what were we, like 10th in the table? Mm-hmm. And we, we we were struggling to even qualify for Champions League. And now here, I mean, we're obviously in a top four fight. We got two big matches coming up. We're off the heels of a very good hole win. Um, maybe not the result we wanted against Barcelona, but um, a great performance in general. Um, I think I think you know if he could pull out one more solid performance in these next two matches, he should be golden for the rest of the season. But going back to my point, we don't deserve him, and if we lose him, it'll hurt. And I think it'll hurt more than when we sack Jose. And I know it's a bold statement because I, I love the man, but uh, <laughs> the second time was. I was just absolutely dejected, but that was mostly because of this sense of betrayal from from the player's standpoint. But yeah, so let I mean, I think I think one final point I kind of want to talk about. Um, I think kind of an un, the unsung heroes of this match because that I you know we we obviously we can praise William, but it was a complete team effort. Um, it had to have been. You I know, mean, we talk about the back three, and I think that um. We really had like a back seven this match because everyone was just they played on like a giant string together. Um, just the the how compact they were and how organized they were. Um, I was I had my eye out for Fabregas the whole match, just thinking, oh man, like just waiting for him to make a mistake or something so I can just you know scream to Antonio Conte to pull him. But um, he was he was really di- disciplined, which was incredible. Um, but um, I think for me, um the our wing backs uh specifically i think victor moses um he normally we we kind of give him a lot of crap for his inability to play a strong defensive match but um he was he played just very solid fundamental defense um there's just a couple times like for example that jordi alba would make like a really nice move and get around him and Victor Moses never, never like just bit on a, like a, you know, making a really bad play. He would get in front of him and just, you know, knock the ball out of bounds and just like make very solid um, contributions. And, you know, he, he pressed, they pressed Barca uh, along, you know, along with a defensive, st- uh, you know, play in the, in our, in our half, they really pressed Barca up high up the field 
and they forced their outside backs to kind of stay pinned back for you know a, a large portion of this match um which was why Barcelona had a really hard time trying to work the ball around the field um i i think that you know it's it we're not going to be able to to uh compete with them in a box to box kind of style but if we press them hard um like this uh they're they're missing out on two key players who help them out in in the ball movement you know mo moving the ball box to box but um i think without their without their contribution we would have lacked in both defense and our attacking prowess um what do you think zach how about you who stood uh, out when you uh when you watched the match i mean just just going off of your point really quick because i like the point you made about victor moses like yes jordi alba got around him time and time again in this match but victor but he didn't get past victor moses right and that's and that's the big thing because we all know Jordi Alba is going to beat um, anybody we stick out on that right side for pace um, because he's just rapid. But Victor Moses utilized his body really well and his size. And I guess it's that bit of Premier League experience where if someone gets by you, you just kind of step in front of them and, and, and shield them away from the ball. And, and Jordi Alba just looked he he almost looked out of ideas for large portions of the match. And I actually thought Antonio Conte was going to sub him for Zapacosta. Um, mainly just be mainly because Victor Moses looked a little tired towards the end, but you know the last ten or fifteen minutes he seemed to pick his performance back up and, and he pick his energy levels back up and just kind of fight through it. So um, you know someone that we've been getting giving a little bit of slack to the last couple of weeks who have been hard on him, but wow, what a, I mean the performance by him was just immense. But I mean if you had to ask me, um, I chose I chose our back three specifically Dave. You know we always talk about this vocal leader. And yes, I mean, I know he's not an elite, uh, an elite vocal leader in the sense that you know he's not gonna grab someone by the shirt collar and you know walk them to their position and, and you know and, and curse them out and be like this really stern vocal leader. But Dave is a guy who we, who's easily the most underrated defender um, in the Premier League for me. Um, He's he's a throwback, and I think that's why the club has such an affinity to him, and that's why the fans have an affinity to him, because he's just fucking old school. He puts his head down. He doesn't complain. He doesn't bitch and moan. Um, he doesn't take excuse. He doesn't use excuses. He doesn't let his size be an excuse for playing center back. Um, you know, very rarely you see him go into a challenge and get and somebody get the better of him. But in this match specifically, I mean, I'm looking at his stats. Six interceptions, three clearances, and one tackle. Um, that's absolutely incredible. And I remember specifically there was one time where I forget who it was. It might have been Iniesta, but uh, Aspi was facing him up, and Iniesta played a ball into the box, and the ball might have left Iniesta's foot. And three feet later, <laughs> Aspilicueta is there flying in and, and throwing his whole entire body in front of it, and. You know, I know it sounds like something that, oh, like, oh, that happens all the time in a Premier League. But no, like guys like Iniesta do not telegraph their passes. Um, and, and for Aspi to have the awareness and, and to just know where to position his body and how to position his body is something that's absolutely, you know, not mentioned enough. And, and, and if there's one aspect of his game that's world class, it is that. It's his positioning. Um, you know, a, another guy I want to talk about, though, you know, we already mentioned Christensen, so I won't say much on him. But uh, Rudiger, I thought his specifically his distribution was a huge, huge reason why we were able to get out of the back and play out of the back so quickly. Um, you know, he's kind of he's kind of made those 60, 70 yard diagonal balls his own, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. I mean, it just kind of seems like he picks up the ball in like an advanced position and just casually plays like a 50 yard perfectly weighted diagonal ball to switch the field but um i think he's a player for the future i think him and him and christensen are going to be mainstays in that back three for you know the next seven or eight years to come but um obviously Aspie's not very old yet so um that that back three i i think is there to stay especially after a performance like this and as a center back myself you know just the discipline and shape that we had defensively was it was a wet dream for me yeah, and you know we're we're kind of running a little bit out of time, so um, we're gonna preview that second leg um, closer to the actual match. Um, but you know, because we have a really big match coming up next week that I think I want to I want to spend a little bit of time on. 
Um, so uh, let's get into this Man United match. Unless you have any final thoughts you wanna you wanna mention? No, no. Uh, no. Just just one final thought on the Barca match, though. Um, <laughs> even though I just said no, no. <laughs> uh, but no I final thoughts. Yeah. Have I have hope? That that that's all I'm gonna say. Like I have hope. Definitely and a confidence booster. There will be there will be a level of disappointment if we do not pull this off at the Camp Nou. I'm not gonna lie. I'm yeah. not gonna sit here and and, and bullshit you which guys. Which is not what we said last week at all. Exactly. Before the match, which is uh, incredible. Just but, uh, but that's so, why we... what a happy like what a happy feeling after that match. Even though we drew and we could have won, um, it was just so uplifting to have a performance like that in the Champions League. Because I don't know, it's just it just gives us hope. Like. In, in this kind of like really like roller coaster kind of a season um so that's why we love chelsea right um so let's get into this man united match it's uh, our only match we have this season so we're gonna travel to old trafford face man united uh jose's man united just to specify um i, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him but he's pretty uh <laughs> pretty solid manager um so united this season he they're uh sitting second in the table right now um sitting with 56 points compared to our 53 um typical Mourinho they have the best defense in the division uh only 19 conceded goals um you know Zach this will be our 28th match of the of the season uh meaning we'll only have uh 10 matches remaining until the end of the the season um wow. so uh you know first of all that's a, a little bit sobering com- uh, considering our um you know what that means for our podcast and uh, also just the end of the season is a is, is a really depressing time for us but um it's uh i think we have a lot of of room to work with um to kind of solidify that uh, second spot because it looks like the first spot is kind of out of reach still um that's been the that's been the story of the season um but it's just back to this match specifically um what do we need to do to win this? I ask this every game. Uh, what do we need to do to win this match? Don't buy into the bind games. The mind, the bind games, or the mind games. The mind games. The mind games song. <laughs> Look, Jose Mourinho is the most irritating, the most pesty, the most petulant, the most um, psychologically Petty. unstable manager. <laughs> In world football and that's why he's a special one <laughs> that's that that's why he's a special one and you know like oh no pun intended huh but uh you know like look jose is going to take a few jabs at antonio conte and he is going to go out there and cause media speculation and all this hoopla because he's a diva and he loves to be the center of attention and i said it the first time we played man united and we did our previews like yeah i mean i i, I still love jose um just because what he's done for us but at the same time um, whenever I see him in a Man United, uh, a, a Man United kit or a Man United, you know, uh, jacket or whatnot, it just feels like that family member or that uncle that you grew up with, um, who started doing like really, really crazy drugs and needs to go to rehab just so he could like sober up and get a clear mind. That's kind of like how I view Jose now. And yeah, everyone's um, got an uncle like that. Um, and it, I think like there's very few people who can like have that cocky and arrogant persona that Jose Mourinho has and that they're entitled to it because he's in, he is absolutely entitled to that persona. But, um, you know, it was another thing coming from a manager of your team, but, uh, coming from a manager of another team, it just disgusts me now. It's, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, another point to, to look at is, uh, to be wary of their wingers. Um, if this team has one thing besides their defense, it's uh, it, I think they have a, a they have attacking op- so many attacking options, um, you know, we're gonna be looking at um, a combination of you know one two of the four wingers, you know, Rashford, Lingard, Martial, or Alexis, um, so you know all of whom who have incredible pace um, and creativity that can hurt any backline, but of course they're gonna be facing not just any backline, they're facing our backline. Um, and we need to deploy wingbacks, you know, I, I, the way that I talked about it, um, in the Barca match, I think we need to have a similar kind of style in this match, um, pressing them high up the pitch, keeping their defense pinned back, allowing our players, uh, to support our forwards, 
and um, you know just just keeping an eye on those wingers because um, they hopefully our back line will be able to take care of them, mm-hmm. but um, you know it, it, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a difficult task for sure. I mean, as much as Jose bitches and moans about you know teams uh, about teams kicking his players and 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 being too physical and and letting physical play go unnoticed. Jose is going to definitely deploy that tactic against us. And I know it's completely different from the point you just mentioned, but I just think that's something to mention here is that um, Mourinho teams are always passionate, if anything. And if you look at the players and you look at Mourinho's history as a manager, the players that he has on his side are willing to run through a brick wall for him. And John Terry even alluded to it. Um, he said something along the lines of like, you know, you, you go out onto the pitch and, and you're fighting for your manager mm-hmm. and John Terry would do anything for his manager. Um, and you know, you see a lot of those um, same managerial, I don't want to say tactics, but philosophies deployed on Man United and you see players like Antonio Valencia and you see players like, I mean, Nemanja Matic, who's obviously always been on Mourinho's good side. And you see guys like Romelu Lukaku who, you know, even though he's been misfiring as of late, I mean, now he's kind of picking up his form. But those guys are are just willing to work and and live and die for the manager. So yeah, I mean, but you know, one player that he has sorry to cut you off, but he's 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 I think he's having a difficult time trying to get to Pogba um, this season. I mean, they're having a lot of behind the scenes issues. Um, you know, he's been on and off the bench. Um, but sounds like a certain Eden Hazard situation, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I know. I think I think that uh, egos and and uh, Mourinho do not mix because it, he has the biggest ego of them all. <laughs> yeah, it's like two alpha males going at it. Yeah, but you know, like he has frozen Pogba out recently, and like he left him out of the Champions League squad against Sevilla, and he actually brought on Ander Herrera to play in Pogba's place next to Matic, and within 17 Ugh. minutes, Herrera gets hurt. Sorry, I just um, had to, I had to gag a little bit after you said under her. It's, it's just like yeah. a natural reflex. Yeah, he's a cunt, huh? <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, but pretty, he is pretty he's accurate a, description, honestly. Yeah, a very accurate description. But you know, he did go down last match, and I was thinking about it before I wrote this part of the script, and I was like, hey, this is an interesting talking point. We know Mourinho hates hates losing to his former clubs. Is he going to just bite the bullet and swallow his pride and play his best 11 with Pogba included? Because, I mean, their best 11 is with Pogba in it. Mm-hmm. Or is he going to stick to this idea of, hey, I need Pogba's head to get right. I'm going to keep punishing him and sitting his ass on the bench against a team that's, you know, possibly a top four rival. Um, look, it's uh, it's very likely Paul Pogba is going to play. I think Reno is going to go and put out his best lineup. Um and you know he and with that being said Mourinho loves his size and you know he always had this philosophy at Chelsea where the average height of his back lines had to be at least 6 feet tall and which is why he put Brana on the right when he was here and mm-hmm. you know played a center back out of position and bought players like Matic in and look he's going to play Pogba and Matic next to each other and then he's going to have you know probably Smalling and Bailly or or Phil Jones and Bailly all of whom are big big dudes so whoever he chooses to play in the midfield whoever Conte chooses to play in the midfield they have to be ready for a very physical battle oh absolutely and I think with all the the different options that you suggested the different possibilities of combinations that uh, Mourinho could deploy I think uh it's completely up in the air of how of how Mourinho will line up in this match um he you know he's 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 built his brand on being pragmatic hitting hitting on the break so um i think that's probably what they're going to be doing this match too um i think the only question left to be answered and i don't know if i i can even confidently answer that but um is how Mourinho will line up this match um you know i mean they know that we're coming off a big match against barcelona um and you know we a match where all of our players gave it, gave it, uh, you know, gave their all. Um, so you know, he might, he might go at us because of that. Um, and uh, you know, they, they, they also played a defensive stalwart kind of game uh, against Sevilla. Um, so well, you know, not not they, just David de Gea. Oh yeah, just yeah. Uh, what just like six or seven saves. I think like, he had, I think he had eight saves and one, including one incredible. Um, 
point blank one, which is um, a li- this just really not good news for us uh, as yeah. far as trying to score goals. Um, Especially with the misfiring Murata and not necessarily a match with Giroud. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that raises a more interesting question: is how Conte will line up. Will he will he opt to go with Murata? Will he opt to go three five two because there might be some tired legs up top? Um, will he want to add like the added dimension of drink water in the midfield just to, you know, kind of reduce the amount of running for Conte and Fabregas? I think that's the very interesting, um, an interesting point that that hasn't been mentioned yet is how 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 do you want Conte to line up? Because I know it's off script, but w- what do you think? I think uh, first of all, just to point out, I'm I'm surprised. I totally forgot we have drink water uh, on our team. Every time you mention <laughs> that, I, I I keep on forgetting because wow, it's like you forgot forty million times or something. Yeah, huh? and I, I, every every time I forget. Um, so you just you just have to remind me every episode. Um, but uh, for me, I just I want to see uh, I would lo- I just I'm I'm waiting for the game for Murata to get back in form. Um, and you saw during that Barca game, uh, they tried the Aspie, uh, ball over, over the top to Morata one time. And I was like, Oh, that that was, that was a nice reminder of what kind of player he is. But, Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to see Morata play, um, and just try to get back in form. And I know that, you know, against a team like Man United, maybe it's not the best game to try to, you know, play with that and try to hope that happens but i just i like i really like it's 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 really pressing on my emotions the fact that we went out of our way to you know pay all this money for a guy like him and um he's really not living up to his end of the bargain not even close um and he just needs to get used to the way the game is played in the premier league or he's not going to be here for long and um you know, like if, if he could have a kind of game that that breaks him back into form against a side like Man United, that's going to give him so much confidence. And it's going to, um, you know, hopefully that type of form is going to just play off for the rest of the season and, and carry on into uh, our second leg against Barca, because um, we need like it's it's going it, to it's going to be difficult playing with that front three again, like you mentioned. Um, and. I don't know if Giroud as striker is the right answer to that because we need pace against that side. So I think that if we're able to get Murata back in form before that second leg, um, he'll be perfect fit because he does have that pace that we need in the striker position. I mean, who knows? Maybe his confidence level is up a little bit because of the first time he played Man United. I mean, he scored the match winner, so exactly, yeah. he might he might be eager to get back out onto the pitch and see this as a good opportunity to just kind of continue where he left off because it is a defense that he's profited from. Mm-hmm. Um, but going into that song, I mean, give me your prediction. What do you think? Zach, remember last week against Barca, I, I predicted 2-0. Two, two uh-huh. I, I, was, I was pretty close. It was, it was almost a 2-0 match. I'm going to predict 2-0 again, 2-0. Two 0 Chelsea. Wow. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go three 0 I think Mourinho's team is gonna capitulate, and I think their performance against Sevilla was. Uh, I think it. I think it has the potential to be an early sign of late season fatigue or mid season fatigue. Mm-hmm. There I, we go. I think that's a. I, I thought you were gonna go lower than me, but. Uh, no, no. How about how about we just I might combine go- our. How about we combine our scores and go five nil? Yeah, I was about to say I was gonna one up you with the four nil, but yeah, let's go, let's go five nil. I mean, I, I mean against the side like Man United, I'm, I'm fuck down. it. All logic goes out the window. Five nil Chelsea. <laughs> that that is our official prediction. Write it down on paper. And um, if we do win five nil, you bet you better believe I'm gonna be on Twitter reminding everybody that I predicted five nil and it started here. So <laughs> yeah, let let's see if that happens. Doubt it, but. Let's do it. Highly doubted. Um, but anyways, I mean, that's so it. I think I think that was a pretty good pod. Yeah, um, I mean, we've been we've been getting a lot more listeners the past couple of weeks, and I think that uh, is an accurate reflection on our improvement. Um, and I think that I think a, you know the the more listeners we get, the more um, we want to actually give out good quality, uh, make good quality episodes because. You know, we want to keep those new guys, but, um, you know, if, if, if anyone else knows any other Chelsea fans, um, please share, uh, our podcast with them because we would love to get new fans, uh, new listeners and, 
Um, you know, you want we love being active with you guys. Uh, every time you guys tweet at us, it's uh, you know, it's amazing. Um, we love responding back to them. Um, yeah, and really quick, going. Really quick, going off of that. Uh, shout out to Chelsea Eric. Um, hey man, my bad. We we were totally tweeting back and forth, and I read one of his tweets around like twelve thirty a.m. Uh, Los <laughs> Angeles time, and I was absolutely tossed and uh, and responded in a way that exemplified just how much uh i had consumed so yeah i um, saw the next morning i sent to you like, zach come on dude, that, was a, that was a face was, palm was, moment yeah, oh god was, but uh yeah, yeah it anyways it was, it's good it, classic it, it's always good banter with you guys and like like Sam said it's great i mean we've had people reach out to us in dms and and people tweet at us and just say like hey we love what you're doing people commenting on the pod that's fucking awesome and that's the stuff we want to hear and more importantly, we want to hear the stuff that you don't like. We want to hear the stuff that we could improve on, stuff that we are possibly leaving out of the podcast or the stuff that we're focusing too much on. Let us know. I mean, we take criticism very well. We're not like Jose. Huh. I think that's a good way to put it, right, Tom? It's a great way to put it. We are not like Jose at all. Not like Jose. So um, anyways, I mean, that brings us to the end of the episode. I know we're running out of time, so I guess we'll do our sign outs. Any last words? Fuck you, Jose Mourinho. That's. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that I, seems it's, like it's been a, building up for a little bit. I had to just let it out. That seems like a very good place to leave it off. So until next week, guys. Uh, again, thank you for all the support, and we'll see you for episode 34. Um, see you next week, and keep the blue flag flying high.